During its massive expansion in late 1990s, advocates of credit default swaps pointed out how they create an efficient process for banks to hedge their loan portfolios to avoid having concentrations in risk. In the 1990s, Chase Bank, a predecessor of JP Morgan, nearly went bankrupt on the back of real estate loans and lending to then what we used to call third world governments. My mentor at JP Morgan observed that Chase credit officers would avoid lending to countries with a palm tree depicted in their flag. It seems like, well, it seems like an age ago. Credit default swaps, in theory, avoided the systemic risk of these increasingly large banks defaulting as they can shift their credit risk to other investors without impacting their client relationship. Perfect. The risk transfer process through CDSs was so successful that it expanded into the dreaded collateralized dead debt obligations market. In a previous podcast, I described how a bank creates a CDO through tranching, where those who are junior take first loss, receive a higher coupon than the senior investors. Based on historical data, the idea that the amount of defaults in a diversified portfolio going beyond, say, 15% is almost zero. Even in Chase's doomed foray into real estate, hardly diversified, the default rate was 16%. In the synthetic CDO market, the super senior starts, or attaches, at 30% of accumulated defaults and would have a coupon in the single basis points, or single hundredths of a percent. Banks primarily sell the middle tranches to investors as it provides attractive income to risk profile. The manager holds the junior as an incentive to pick a performing portfolio. Although the risk of the super senior is tiny, that is not a reason to leave them clogging up their bank's balance sheet. The conversation at JP Morgan was always, quote, how much is too much, unquote. The banks found willing investors in the insurance world, I assume because the regulatory framework would treat them as insurance. We would call this type of activity regulatory arbitrage and depends on what legal entity and institution books the loans and its prevailing jurisdiction. Only massively capitalized insurers can play this game. Despite the structuring world's finest to create the illusion of insurance capacity through what was called a monoline, all banks found themselves hedging with the same insurers. The largest largest was AIG, and they dealt with the banks on all types of structures in the gazillions. They did the shadies of deals with a Goldman Sachs, who took a $20 billion portfolio of triple B minus rated subprime mortgage bonds and transferred the risk of these tranches going poof to AIG for a couple of million dollars of income a year. Yes, this is a CDO where the collateral is not mortgages, but unsold tranches of mortgages. Hence, and I kid you not, CDO squared. In 2008, many subprime lenders left the house's keys on the kitchen table and drove off in their camper van, defaulting on their loans. Nearly all the tranches had attachment points of around 9% of accumulated defaults, wiping out entirely after 12%, so only 3%. 
the soothing effects of diversification that underpins the super senior AAA rating went zero, as all the triple B tranches collapsed simultaneously. The supposedly rock-solid risk-free valuation dropped like a stone, eventually to zero. The US government bailed out AIG to avoid a massive storm that would have pulled down an already fragile banking system. Regulators were naturally stunned by the scale of the concentration of risk in AIG and embarrassed that they did not have a clue of its existence. The response by the regulators was to insist the bank send them an enormous amount of position information so they can aggregate across the industry. Given the scale, volume, and variability of quality and timeliness of the data coming in, this activity proved to be a fool's errand. If risk managers checking the traders struggle to get a coherent view of the risk profile of a single firm, what chance does a regulator have several steps removed? The Bank of England went for a more sensible stress testing approach, where on an annual basis, they come up with a suite of scenarios that in their view are topical. Such stress tests usually take the form of inflation going up, sterling going down, government yields up, equities down, and credit spreads widening. For commodities, well, gold and oil can actually go either way. The Bank of England sends out a spreadsheet for each bank to fill in and then aggregates them to highlight a concentration or overheating. Unlike sensitivities, when aggregated, we lose information, stress results retain their features, so long as the banks have completed a proper revaluation of their portfolios, rather than using the same sensitivities. Which, of course, most do. The problem with this centrally defined stress testing is the level of granularity chosen by the regulators and the subsequent interpretation. For example, a scenario could be low granularity, such as, quote, equity down 22% to reflect the 1987 crash, Does that mean the banks should take to that point if sterling collapses in this scenario, the likelihood is that FTSE will go up, given the international nature of revenues are now worth more in our local currency. It keeps on coming back to what the regulators want to measure beyond them, them being seen to be doing something. The banks do what they do best. They write very long letters to the regulators asking insanely detailed questions that pick holes in the methodology. A sensible answer from the regulators should be, I don't care how you do it, but I will come and audit you. The reality is that egos get in the way and starts down the what if rabbit hole, where they increase the layers of granularity, resulting in an exponential increase in instructions. What began as a straightforward scenario becomes an industry, and the original idea gets lost in the flurry of emails and rewrites. In my recent podcast quote, Roll the Credits, the Barbarians are at the gate, I pointed out that the credit market is vastly more complex than equities. Mortgages, credit cards, overdraft facilities, corporate bonds, single-purpose vehicles, derivatives, leveraged loans, perps and preps, it's all there. I won't explain the last two, but to point out just how complex such a scenario becomes when someone dictates credit spread widening. Most uh, participants fail to answer the simple question of, quote, when investors sell their holdings, 
thus creating a price drop, where does the money go? The answer is that investors tend to execute a flight to quality, moving away from risky assets to quality assets. In other words, some assets, such as gold, will buck the trend in a sell-off. Regulators are agents of the dark side, so that if banks are long gold, should they ignore the positive results? Life gets very complex very quickly. Central government officials make the same mistakes as our regulators, in that they are several steps away from the reality of life at the coalface. Members of the political past who went to Oxford to study PPE to then fall into a role as an, as an advisor have the terrible affliction of being both academically intelligent and at the same time unbearably unaware of their stupidity. The working assumption is that the population are either too stupid or too selfish to follow broad brushed instructions has been a common theme of the past year. The population switched away from taking the spirit of guidance and, acted, and adapting it to their local conditions. People switched from the adaption of common sense to firing off questions for ever-increasingly lunatic scenarios. The upshot, upshot is the insanity of rulemaking that required people to wear masks in a pub while walking to their table, only to take it off once seated. Risk common sense gets lost in the flurry of rule rewrites. The situation we find ourselves in echoes the interventionist parents that by their actions signal to their offspring that they cannot figure things out. Eventually, kids give up thinking for themselves, become entirely dependent on instructions. The parents, convinced of their narrative, are only too happy to exert such control. For their well-being, of course.